Welcome everyone again uh, to our online worship here at Lord of Grace. Uh, I'm Pastor Lars Hammer, I'm the pastor here, uh, and welcome everyone out in internet land who's watching this with us today. Uh, I'm going to continue this morning with a sermon series that I'm titling Finding Grace. I had planned this series out last year long before I had any idea about anything involving coronavirus, and sometimes you pick a theme and it uh, doesn't jive and sometimes it becomes very relevant. Today's theme happens to be finding grace in healing. Uh, and in our gospel reading, which we get today from Matthew 8, uh, we get two stories of healings by Jesus. And I want to <clears throat> look at the first one, the story of the guy with leprosy. Uh, so a little bit of a background here, uh, hopefully that'll help it make sense. And first, uh, the word they use here uh, is leprosy. That's the term they use for his disease. It says the man was a leper, says, so that would have been his identity. Uh, he wasn't a guy with leprosy, he was the leper. And you know, these days we try hard to not identify the person solely by your illness. You're not, uh, you know, you're the person with such and such. Uh, but not then. Uh, back then, Leprosy is who he had become. It's who he is. And I wish they didn't use that word leper to translate it because it's not necessarily the bacterial infection that we today call Hansen's disease, uh, which is leprosy. It's where you start losing nerve functions and you stop feeling pain. And lepro leprosy, Hansen's disease leprosy, is almost totally gone today. It's completely curable and um, so it's not necessarily what they're talking about in the Gospel of Matthew. In the Gospel of Matthew and throughout the Bible, that term is a more generic word for any communicable skin disease. And we think lots of things probably got called that. Uh, so it isn't just one disease, but it's anything that you can see on the skin and can be transferred and it's contagious. So uh, when you read this, just think, guy with skin disease uh, instead of leper. I think that's a little bit helpful. But there were rules. In Jesus' day, there were rules for what you could do if you were a person who had a skin disease. And you find them going back to Leviticus chapter 13. Uh, this is back in the Old Testament purity codes. Uh, these were the, there were clear rules uh, for what to do with these skin diseases. Uh, chapter 13 of Leviticus goes on and on and on. It's a huge chapter. And the rules include such things as, one, uh, you would go to visit the priest to get an, ins get an inspection. If you suspected you had it, you would go to the priest. He would check you out. And then the priest would certify that it was, in fact, a skin disease and not just not just a zit. So the priest would sit there, this must have been so much fun, would sit there and study the boil and study the infection and check out the flesh to determine if it is in fact, if it has killed the hair and if it goes deeper than the skin. So if the hair is fine and it's only uh, on the surface of the skin, then it's not a skin disease, it's not leprosy, and the person is not unclean. If it is unclean, if the, if the infection goes below the skin and it kills the hair, that was the criteria, 
Uh, then they knew it was more than just a zit, and you were put into a kind of a quarantine for the next seven days. You were declared unclean and had to stay away from all people for seven days. You had to stay outside of the camp, uh, or if you were in a city, you were supposed to stay outside. And then at the end of seven days, you would come back, you'd go back to the priest, and he would check it all out again. Uh, and if it was still not better, you'd go back for another seven days. And all of this was part of trying to keep the person with the disease away from people, to keep it from spreading. Now, they didn't understand bacteria and viruses, but they did figure out that people who had certain things could give it to others, so they practiced a form of isolation, forced isolation, which, as we're all learning, is easier for some of us than others. Uh, it's easy if you have lots of money and a big house and to just sit and hang out for a while and catch up on a good book and work on some home improvement projects and uh, uh, take up some knitting while you're at it. Uh, but if you don't have money, you know, what happens if you get separated from the community then? You lose your job, you might go hungry, you might not be able to pay your rent, so then you would get thrown out on the street. If the city didn't provide support for you in these seven or 14 days, you could be out there having to beg, which is exactly where you don't want people with contagious skin diseases running up and down the street, pestering people for money. Now, the law, the law about separation it goes back to a time when the people of Israel were moving around, when they were coming out of Egypt, so they were nomadic, and they lived in tents, and so the diseased person would just pitch their tent a few feet, a few meters outside of the regular camp. That was all it was. And they'd wander behind and trail behind at a distance. Uh, once everybody moved into fixed towns, then it wasn't as easy to just have them separate. So, I could imagine, I could imagine lots of people with contagious skin diseases were running around on the streets begging for money to survive so they didn't die of starvation while waiting to get that certification from the priest that they were clean. And to beg, of course, how do you beg? You've got to get up in people's faces, right? You've got to annoy them. So they don't just walk right by and ignore you. So you have to, you have to kind of get close, uh, which of course is a good way to spread the disease. So the old law had some very specific provisions in it. Uh, Leviticus 13, 45 and 46. Here's a little snippet of it. It says, The person who has the leprous disease shall wear torn clothes and let the hair of his head be disheveled. And he shall cover his upper lip and cry out, Unclean! Unclean! He shall remain unclean as long as he has the disease. He is unclean. He shall live alone. His dwelling shall be outside the camp. So that's Leviticus 13, verses 45 to 46. So, you know, I kind of imagine that, uh, you know, you, you imagine that what's going on here, you think you have this disease, right? And it's embarrassing enough.
to have these you know, big ugly boils, uh, but if it turns out that it's contagious, or it might be, you have to dress like you're all dirty and rumple your hair, and, and every time you walk in the room, you gotta scream, unclean, unclean, for everyone to hear. Imagine that, having to run around everywhere you go, screaming that to people. Now the theory is to keep the person who's been identified as unclean, to keep them identified so people know to avoid them. I would guess, I would, I would guess, however, that the stigma of having to dress dirty and rumple your hair and broadcast to the world that you have this disease, that it would start to get real tempting for people to lie about it or hide it, uh, maybe hope it goes away. I mean, they wore long robes like this, so only the face, the hands would have been showing. You can hide a lot of skin disease there which means you're still contagious and running around town uh, just to avoid the stigma of isolation and being labeled a leper. And you probably would only go to get checked if it started getting on your face and you couldn't hide it. So it probably didn't stop as much disease as it was intended, uh, but it's better than nothing, I suppose. Uh, so, getting back to the Gospel story. This guy has the dreaded skin disease, the contagious skin disease, the leprosy. He comes running up to Jesus in the crowd, it says. Now, did you catch that? He came running up to Jesus in the crowd. Matthew 8 says, When Jesus had come down from the mountain, great crowds followed him. And there was a leper who came to him and knelt before him, saying, Lord, if you choose, you can make me clean. This man's supposed to be outside the camp, so he doesn't touch anyone. But he ignored the rules. But that's the only way he was going to get better, was to be able to see Jesus. And the only way he was going to be able to see Jesus was to get out there in front of him. And Jesus being a rabbi, was supposed to have told the guy to go away and get checked out first. Jesus should have been lecturing him about staying ritually clean and following the protocols in Leviticus. Instead, in typical Jesus fashion, he just heals the guy. That's it. No lecture, just healing. And when he gets back, and when he gets healed of his skin disease, Jesus tells the guy to go back to the priests and get inspected and do the appropriate rituals for getting clean. Now, if you want a fun read, uh, take out your Bibles and keep going and read Leviticus chapter 14. It tells you all the things you're supposed to do in the ritual of getting clean, including taking two birds, killing one, dripping the blood of one bird into a bowl, and then dipping the live bird in the blood of the dead bird, and letting it go, and, and then it keeps going and going and going and going. Oh yeah, it's interesting stuff. Uh, and I can guarantee you never made a Sunday school craft with it. But, Jesus tells the guy to go to the priests, because if he does that, then the guy can get back into society. 
He can get acceptance. Without it, he's still going to be treated as diseased. Whether he's cured or not, he has to have the certification from the priest. He needs that go-ahead. This is part of the healing process as it was set up. There's the miracle cure in this case, the elimination of the disease, the stopping of the illness, but that's only part of it. The other part is getting reconciled with God and getting back into the community. Now, we tend to get ourselves these days really hung up on the miracle cure part. We see the faith healers running around and promising people that if, that if, only, if, if only you have enough faith, that even today Jesus will miraculously cure your disease. And if he doesn't cure your disease, it's your fault because you didn't have enough faith. And we see that. Now, I don't discount that sometimes it does happen. Sometimes people do see a shrunken tumor or something the doctor can't possibly explain. I do believe that God can do that. But here's the deal with this. That's only half the story. What about the part where the person gets reintroduced into society and gets accepted again? What about the part where the person stops being treated like a threat and gets a chance to live again like a normal person? What about the person getting his social life and his family life and his reputation back? We spend so much time trying to debate if miracles are real and if they really happen that I wonder, do we forget about the whole part about what we can do that Jesus was clearly concerned about, which was to bring people back into the community and restore their dignity and their value and their reputation. I think both matter. It's no fun to get a disease, period. It's awful. It's also awful to get something and not have anyone around you to support you or care for you while it's happening. It's also awful to go through it all alone, to sit there and suffer in pain with no one to hold your hand and bring you water and tell you it's all right. Part of healing is reuniting the brokenness in our lives. And a lot of that has to do with the relationships that we have. Because isn't it true? Isn't it true that when that special loved one grabs you, holds your hand, tells you that everything's going to be all right, that you kind of know that he or she can't magically make the virus go away, but to have them there still makes it less bad. Even if the only way we can say that is through Zoom or Skype or something, it still matters. It still helps. Because our health is our whole person. And part of our whole person is the network of relationships and friends and family and community that we have around us. We aren't islands. We need each other, naturally. And it's not a sign of weakness 
but it's just acknowledging how we're made as humans to be with each other, to be loved, and to love. You know, I may not be able to cure people. I've never found that I have that particular spiritual gift. But I can still pray for healing, and I can pray, and, and, and I can pray for healing, and I can work to bring it about wherever I can. We all can. We can't always shrink a tumor. But we can be the loved ones that no one else loves. We can be the loved ones for the ones no one else loves. We can be the friend for the lepers in our midst. The way Jesus was the friend to the people who needed him. The way he didn't shun them. The way his love, his compassion, his grace brought hope to the people he encountered. God's grace is that. It's healing our whole selves, our whole lives, restoring all of who we are to dignity, even when no one else will. Amen.